Hello and welcome to another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thank you so much for listening. This is where I have conversations with people who are living life on their own terms. We dive into those big moments that have pushed them through the fears and self-limiting beliefs that hold so many of us back. Now, in a fast-paced world of trying to be everything to everyone, my guest today, Brooke McCallery, has one word for you. Slow. Brooke is the author of the new book, Destination Simple, Everyday Rituals for a Slower Life. She is also the host of the hugely successful number one iTunes podcast, The Slow Home Podcast, and co-founder of the independent podcast company, Jackrabbit FM, which she launched a couple of years ago with her husband, Ben, who has also been a guest on the Live Immediately podcast with me way back in episode four. I remember actually recording that episode in the Northwoods of Wisconsin, um, and there was snow everywhere. And at the same time, Ben was actually in Canada, strapping on his snowboard boots about to hit the slopes. But I'll link to his episode in the show notes as well. And it's really well worth the listen. As Ben, he touches on something that I absolutely loved, and it's the alignment of, of health happiness and heart. It's, I, I love it so much. It's well worth the listen. But today's episode is with his wonderful wife, Brooke, and she has been a massive influence on my life as it was the lessons that I learned from her conversations with her guests on her podcast that really helped me shape my thoughts and got me to start asking some big questions that eventually created this beautiful change in my life that I've had over the past few years. And there is so much in this episode with Brooke as we discuss postnatal depression, suicidal thoughts, being led by ego, comparing ourselves unfairly, the beauty in decluttering and the mental white space it brings, becoming present, and the importance of being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Brooke also goes into detail and explains two words that have had a simple yet enormous impact on my life, rhythm and tilting. I absolutely love these words and the way that Brooke describes them. I think you're really going to enjoy that. I also love it how Brooke is carving out her own path, one that isn't always easy, but one where she is paying attention and being present. This is an episode where you'll want to re-listen to it and, and grab a pen and paper. And when you finish listening to it, I hope you find pockets of slow in your day. I also hope you enjoy this great conversation with the wonderful Brooke McCallery. Hi, Brooke. How are you? I'm really well, Mike. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well indeed. And whereabouts in this beautiful world do I find you today? Today you find me in my sunny office in uh, in our house in the Blue Mountains. Lovely. And for those that don't know, the Blue Mountains is about, like from the CBD of Sydney, like is it mm -hmm. what, about 50 minutes by train? Yeah, about that. Yeah. I mean, anywhere up from there, we're lower Blue Mountains, so we, um, we're not too far up, but Katoomba and Lure are probably, you know, an hour and a half, hour 40 from the city. So close enough, but far enough out <laughs> to feel different. Oh, lovely. And it's, um, it's really interesting when I talk to people about you, Brooke, because one of two things happen. Either people say, oh my God, I love Brooke. I love her podcast. I love her writing. I've learned so much from her. 
or they say, I've got no idea who you're talking about, Mike. So then, <laughs> so then I excitedly tell them about you and about a week later, they always reach out and they say, thank you so much, Mike. I love Brooke. I love her podcast. I love her writing. And I've already learned so much from her. Wow. That's, um, uh, that's awesome. I, I never, to be perfectly honest, I never know how to respond to things like that. But I think, um, you know, the fact that it's helping people and introducing people to the idea of slowing down and simplifying, that's all I ever want to want to do and want to hear because I know that's been the biggest change I've ever made in our lives. And, uh, you know, the positives that have come from it have been phenomenal and continue to be like every day. But so that's that's nice. Thanks for spreading the word. No, well, it's it's really interesting because sometimes, like when we were on this journey, I'm like, oh, Inga and I are on this journey by ourselves, because we would be talking about certain things, and maybe our immediate friends weren't on that path. But then you, then we talk to other people, and we talk about, oh, yeah, we really love this girl, Brooke, and her podcast. And they're like, I listen to the Slow Home podcast as well, and it's like okay, it's, it's really reaching this wide audience. So it's, it's, it's brilliant. And, um, and like, I guess in a, in a way, like you have touched like my life in such a beautiful way because Inga, my wife and I, we learned so much from your podcast and the conversations that you would have with many of your guests. And it really started to shape our thoughts and started us questioning like a lot of things in our life that ultimately led us to packing, donating and selling everything that we own here in, in Newcastle, Australia and heading off on our little family adventure through the, the um, North America for a year. And like, I guess for me, I just really want to start by saying thank you for that because it's, um, it's been really beautiful for my life personally. Oh, thanks Mike. I mean, I think when, when people say things like that to me, it's, it's very touching and really moving and, and makes makes me really pleased, you know, that people are listening. And as you say, we're not alone. There is a whole tribe of people out there who are looking for practical and inspiring, you know, information into how to live kind of a more meaningful life that's not based on the stuff that we can accrue or, you know, all the things that we can manage to own in a whole lifetime. Uh, but when when someone says thank you for, you know, the impact that I've made, I really do want to kind of turn it around back on you because lots of people hear this sort of information, but they don't ever do anything with it necessarily. So I think all the changes are on you and Inga. And I mean, it takes a huge amount of courage to, to up sticks and just go on an adventure like this. And, you know, you guys should own it and own that, own that, that kind of that courage to, to do it. I think it's, it's brilliant. And I get, you know, not to, to sort of turn this into a mutual admiration society, but I get so much pleasure from hearing stories like yours. Uh, and I was talking to a, a mum at school actually the other day who was sharing a similar kind of um, kind of story where they're really they've really spent time questioning their you know their motivations in life and what they want it to look like, kind of looking back, and they're making all these changes. And I find those sort of things, those, those sorts of shifts just so incredibly inspiring and they always sort of light a fire under me as well so um you know back at you guys yeah uh it was it was a huge effort for um Inga and I to to take that step but we often like joke around and, and say that like it was um like our mutual friend Jeff Sanquist and and obviously um Josh and Ryan from The Minimalist and yourself Brooke that like 
you know, the three of you, the four of you were, were holding our hands during that journey <laughs> and, and really helping us through. But it was actually um, Inga who introduced me to your podcast. And um, she was like, Mike, you've got to listen to this podcast. This lady, Brooke, is really saying everything that, I, that I'm feeling. I think it was Inga's way of saying Mike, you're not really listening to me. So if you hear this other person say it, you might kind of understand where I'm coming from. And and that really, like that message of, of slow living really helped Inga because at that time she was dealing quite deeply with anxiety and things like that. But I guess your journey into this slower way of living also started with, um, I guess, some mental issues that you were having within mm. your own life. So can you take me back to, I guess, that moment where you realized that something needed to change? Yeah, I, so we already had one, our daughter was probably 18, 20 months old at the time. We had a newborn and life was really full, you know, on, we'd purposefully filled life to this point. You know, I was trying to run a business. My husband worked really long hours in the city our, and we'd just renovated our house uh, you know, I was full-time caring for the kids while Ben was at work and he'd leave at six and get home at eight, you know, so massive days for everyone. And I didn't realize at the time, but I was just living with this, this low level, sometimes not even low level panic constantly day in and day out. And looking back, I, I can now recognize that I was having anxiety attacks and all of these, you know, all of these symptoms that something was well and truly amiss in my mental well-being but it wasn't until I found I started talking to myself and you know having a real <laughs> really concerning kind of issues I was starting to to think suicidal thoughts and you know I was in a very 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 bad place and I knew I knew enough to know that even though you know, yes I was tired yes I had two young kids yes things were busy that wasn't okay that wasn't an okay place for me to be in so I'm really fortunate that I have family around and I have a husband who was more than willing to listen to me when I said, Hey, I'm like, I'm not okay. Uh, and I was subsequently diagnosed with uh, severe postnatal depression. And that was really, it wasn't an immediate turning point, but that was the moment where looking back, everything started to change. And, uh, you know, I, I still credit my psychiatrist <laughs> For a, you know, treating me and putting me on antidepressants and supporting me over the subsequent years, um, but B for introducing me to this idea that I didn't have to live such a complicated life. Mm -hmm. You know, she asked me one day, "Have you ever thought about like, simplifying a bit?" You know, she'd listen to me talk about this this hectic day that I just had to have. You know, I, there was all these things that I needed to be doing. And she's she said, "Like, do you really need to be doing them, or is there things there that you can simplify?" and that that was the the message that I think ignited this curiosity. Because initially I was really offended when she asked me that. <laughs> what are you saying? You you think I can't cope? You know, because I'm a coper. I'm a person who can do things. I'm a person that people say, "Gee, how do you manage to do it all?" And that was this ego that I was carrying around with me, that I was this kind of person. And the fact was, I wasn't coping at all. You know, I think that was my mental health is testament to that fact. And I stuck this idea in the back of my head for a few days and then eventually I just Googled how do I simplify my life and, and uh, you know, I found Zen Habits, Leo Bavata's blog and, and that was 
that there was the moment that I started to realize that I didn't have to own all the things and do all the things and be all the things to all the people. You could actually say no mm. in lots of different ways. So, like, like with that ability to say no and that realization that you don't need everything, you don't need to be continuously busy. Why do you think people really struggle with that? Mm. It's a it's a really good question, I think, and I don't think there's necessarily just one answer. But I've discovered that for me, it was it was ego. It really was, you know, it was ego in the fact that I wanted to be that person, you know, who who managed to to have it all, you know. Um, I've since learned that that that's not really a, a possibility, particularly not all at once. Uh, but I think also there's these expectations that we internalize over time that we should be doing these things and this is what a successful life looks like and this is how adults do things. And I think we just internalize them and instead of being discerning and picking which ones of, of these social expectations actually fit us, we just take them all on board. And, you know, they're sold to us through TV and advertising and magazines and any kind of, you know, media and, and these these inspirational stories of, of women who have it all. And, you know, I think the fact that a lot of the, that media isn't necessarily telling the full story has gone unnoticed by us for a long time. And we compare ourselves really unfavorably to these images of, you know, perfection that we see on social media and, and other places. And I think we believe that that's actually real. Yeah. <laughs> I know I did, you know, I spent a lot of time beating myself up because I wasn't that person. Uh, that person doesn't exist. You know, everyone, everyone has to choose between things. Everyone has to, you know, to balance and compromise and, and say yes and say no. And I think the, the, <laughs> the, the more we choose to be honest about it, I think the, the healthier it's going to be for everyone. And it's interesting though, because when we do compare we never compare ourselves to an equal. We always no. compare our level one to somebody else's level 10 or, mm-hmm. or, you know, especially when we're looking at somebody's life from afar, we're really only seeing the tip of the iceberg. We're seeing their highlight reel. Absolutely. We're, we're not seeing all the, the, the things that they had to do or, or the, the failures that they made to, to really get to that home run. Yeah, because it's convenient to do that as well. It's convenient in some capacity to be able to say, well, you know, that's easy for them or, you know, they were gifted that or, you know, it's harder for me. That might all be true, but that's not helpful, you know. It's it's really not helpful. And I think that's why I always say that comparison is a losing game because we either compare ourselves really brutally to someone else's highlight reel um, or we compare ourselves very favorably to someone else. And that both of those, I think, are detrimental. It's making us feel more than or less than. And I just, I just don't think that we need to be doing any of that kind of measuring up at all. You know, I think that that's where so much of the internal competitiveness and negativity and, and you know, self-flagellation kind of comes from. Uh, and I've spent years trying to undo the damage of that just personally. And, uh, you know, I've discovered that once you stop, you just stop, you know, you just, you give it the exact amount of energy and attention that deserves this comparison idea, which is zero. Uh, there's so much liberation in doing that. Mm. 
And it's interesting too that you bring up ego. I'm partway or halfway through the book Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday, um, who is one of my favorite authors of the last kind of five years. I really enjoyed his um, The Obstacle is the Way mm-hmm. um, book as well. But, you know, that whole topic of, of ego and, and and not letting ourselves kind of get in, in our own way is really um, really in my thoughts at the moment. So, mm. But you, um, like, in that that slowing downness and that realization to to not compare and and to understand that you don't have to do everything what were some of the things that you i guess in, initially did or initially took out to slow down your your life the first thing that i did and this is mostly because it was the only thing i was emotionally capable of at the time was to just start decluttering um you know Zen Habits, Leo Babauta's blog, was the, my first kind of en- my entry point into this idea of minimalism. But if you've read his work, you know that he also talks extensively about other areas of self-improvement. And, you know, he talks about diet and exercise, but also, um, you know, headspace and mindset, all these, all these things. I couldn't even go there <laughs> at the time. It appealed to me, but it was so foreign to where I was at and I was so emotionally just busted that I couldn't, I couldn't deal with the idea of even mindfulness and, you know, meditation, anything uh, to do with that. So I did what I could, which was declutter. And I didn't think that it would make the difference in my life that it did. It was phenomenal, you know, and I, we initially tried to go really big, tried to start with, with really big projects like the garage and, you know, the, like the, the spare room, which is just full of boxes of junk that didn't work. So we just, we, we went really small and, it took me a few months to build up this momentum of letting go. But every time I let something physical go, I felt a physical lightning and, you know, I could sleep better and I could stand straighter and I started smiling more. And what I discovered was that there was this, this physical white space was actually helping to, to create mental white space and emotional white space, which then allowed me to kind of feel more. And I hadn't felt properly for a long time uh, so it completely floored me just how much decluttering you know impacted uh, our life and our, our happiness and contentment because the other side of course is that I started to realize that all of this stuff that we had spent so much money and time in acquiring didn't mean anything it didn't make us any happier you know it, it didn't it didn't solve whatever problem it was trying to solve particularly if that problem was you know am I enough Mm-hmm. then it didn't it didn't change the answer to yes that that needed to come from within me so it really did shift our thinking as well into you know who we are and and what that actually looked like and how we could develop that without buying all the things that that needed to be bought in order to be that person uh and you know from there very gradually i started to almost without realizing it practice mindfulness just paying really close attention to things that I would have taken for granted for many years. And thankfully that happened when our kids were really little. So I was actually able to start becoming more present with them. And what I discovered with all that white space was that that presence led to joy and led to depth and led to, you know, feelings that I'd never felt that deeply before. And that was all just from letting go of crap that we didn't need. Mm -hmm. It was phenomenal. Yeah, it's it's interesting that, you know, you talk about that notion of white space and having, 
you know, the space and the time to think deeper about things. Mm. That was one of the big things that I really took away from, you know, a, a decluttering process, um, if we want to call it that. But you did talk about it taking, you know, s- six months or, or a number of months to really lead up into kind of continuously decluttering. And then obviously a longer time after that to really notice, well, not notice things, but really to start to think about things and put other other things in your life. I find sometimes when I am talking to people, and especially at the beginning when they're really excited, we we want everything tomorrow. (laughs) But I I found that it's actually that length of the process that things actually start, that foundation becomes stronger and you really can, I guess, grow from that. And and if you do fall off the wagon a little bit, the foundation is more solid. Absolutely. I couldn't put it better myself. You know, I think that, Look, and I, there are ways of decluttering quickly, and I think that that's great. If you're that kind of person, you're the the enthusiastic person who has the time and the you know the the resources in yourself to do it quickly, then that's brilliant. But I very rarely see that um, being just a one hit kind of solution because what happens is it's not so much I don't think necessarily the length of time that it takes us to get from A to B you know, B being kind of getting through our entire home and having gone through a pass of everything that we own. But I think it's being patient enough to understand that you will go back to things that you had, you know, areas of your home that you had decluttered and you will look at it again with fresh eyes in six months' time and think that, why have I kept this? You know that six months ago it was obviously meaningful to you, but in that, you know, in the interim, it it shifts from being meaningful to being clutter. And I think that's also really important in giving ourselves the time to allow that to happen because I think in that time is as you say it's where we're building that foundation that's where we're laying down you know the stones of what's really important because what we're doing by decluttering is really truly considering and questioning what are the important things in life because we're physically letting go of the things that aren't and you know even if you don't realize that that's what you're doing you start to to paint a much clearer picture of what's important. And I think that foundation just builds layer upon layer every time we make those decisions and every time we, we say no to something or let something go in order to, to make room for something that is important. And, you know, that, yeah, that foundation just, it does take time. And look, I'm one for, for slow decluttering. I think it's much better to take small steps every day than, one massive leap every sort of six months because I think you you become first of all you become better at the process of decluttering and letting go and you start to realize that actually I'm not I'm not regretting any of this stuff so you know let it go with abandon but uh, I also think that as you say if you do kind of fall off the wagon you have that six months worth of, of daily steps forward to fall back on and you know that you've made progress whereas I think- if you kind of Sorry, I was, I, I was just going to add to that by, you know, by doing it on a on a a, a daily practice or or starting off slowly, you start to find that change. But then also because you're continuously doing it, I found with, with me, I was then more mindful of not bringing things back into the house. You know, as, as I always say, it's um, you know, for me, it's like you know, live more with less, not live more with new with new. 
you. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think, you know, that's a mistake that we can make sometimes as we begin. I think I probably did that in the beginning. You know, we, we, we decluttered, we made all this room, like, hey, let's buy nicer stuff, you know. And it's it's losing game. Again, it's, it's just the answer is not going to be in buying more, uh, even if you're buy if you still own less than you used to. I just think that uh, you know, and we we figured that out pretty quick, pretty quickly. Oh yeah, that's right. This doesn't actually make us happy. <laughs> but you've been um, on that happy journey and and living slowly for a number of years. What have mm. been you know take decluttering like out of the picture here? But what have been some of the the key benefits that you've really started to notice in your life? All those big changes. Mm. I think honestly, the biggest one is paying attention. Just being present because that that it it excuse me it applies to everything you know as a parent as a friend as a partner as a as a daughter as a sister as you know in my work I'm much more able to really tune in to what's happening in front of me and as a result not only am I am I more like mentally present but I'm also able to go deeper on into things than I have ever been able to do before you know and I think that's a really broad kind of benefit but it started as I mentioned with the kids you know something as simple as no longer taking for granted the fact that they wanted to play with me or that they wanted to spend time with me or hold my hand or you know touch my face and they were things that I would have just completely skimmed over for many months and just never really recognized the fact that I was so fortunate to have that, you know. Um, and I think that that practice, and it became a daily practice of paying attention, really formed the foundation for a much more purposeful life because it taught me, you know, to, to really tap in and ask myself what these things are doing and, and, you know, for me in the life that I'm building and am I going forward or am I moving back with these things? And Similarly, it taught me to pay attention to everything, to be honest. You know, I now meditate every day. I practice yoga. I move more. I eat much better food. Um, we have you know, much less technology use in our home. We spend more time together. All of those things have come from paying attention to where, you know, what makes us happy and what makes us content and on the flip side also what doesn't. And I think once you start to pay attention to those inputs to your life, and figure out what works for you and what doesn't. Um, you know, it starts to become simpler, not easier necessarily, to start pursuing those things that that really are important. And I'm actually glad that you said that phrase there at the very end: simpler, not easier. Because <laughs> it's it's definitely. I think sometimes, and I know this was definitely me. I I used to always like, well, what's what's that easy path? And and mm. what I've really learned now is is that that beauty in the struggle and that growth in the struggle, not saying that I want to struggle through life, but when it does come to me, it's like, okay, this is how it is. And I think that comes back to what you were saying about being aware and being mindful of those things. Mm. Yeah. And I think there's so much to learn by allowing ourselves to be uncomfortable. And I think so much of choosing the easy way is avoiding discomfort you know, for me it was because it was easier. It's easier to continue along the path that you've already been treading for so long because it's already kind of carved out. You know, you know what's expected, you know what the next step is. Uh, to do something 
different or to to make an about face or to just make it a big change, particularly one that's kind of countercultural, it's not easy and it's uncomfortable. People will question you. People will perhaps mock you. You know, you will come across time and time again obstacles that are throwing themselves in your way, in, in your way that it would be much easier to turn around and go back to how things were. But I think once you start paying attention, again, you can start to recognize what's an obstacle worth getting past, even if you're going to be uncomfortable in the interim, and what's an obstacle that's trying to, you know, trying to show you something. Uh, and I, I really think that it's, it's undervalued, but being comfortable with being uncomfortable has, has become really important to me. No, I 100% agree with that. And I think too that that resistance or the old way that keeps the, the easy way that keeps popping up, you know, linking that back to our other conversation about ego is, mm. it, you know, it kind of all links in there. But I want to talk about um, your first book, Destination Simple, um, Everyday Rituals for a Slower Life, which came out earlier this year. So congratulations, firstly, on that. Thank you. Um, but one thing I really love about this book, and I definitely don't want to tell people how they should read this book, but this is how I read it and, and uh, one of the reasons why I really love it, because I could sit down with this book and read it in one sitting on a Sunday afternoon, and then I could go back and read through the sections that I knew could influence and change my life that day, and mm -hmm. then I would go back and pick up the book again and read other sections like as things started to you know, creep into my life. And I'd be like, hold on, Brooke had a great suggestion for that. Um, and it's, it's a really cool book. I, I really do love it. And it's a great handbook. And, and I use that word deliberately um, because it, it really gives people these tips for wanting to kind of live more simply or, or live more slowly. But there are two words that you use deliberately in this book um, that I would love for you to explain because these were great game changers for me. And that is rhythm and tilting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I <laughs> rhythm's a really interesting one, actually, because I'd told myself for many years that I wasn't a routine person, but routine was what successful people did. You know, they, they were timetabled, they were scheduled, they were spreadsheeted kind of people. And when our daughter was about six months old, I was talking to my older sister who has five kids and five, you know, she's done a tremendous job. They're relaxed. Everyone's relaxed in that family. They're just the epitome of what, you know, I would hope to be as a parent. And this was me kind of in those frantic first months of being a parent. And I was talking to her about the fact that I couldn't find a routine that worked, you know, where at 10 a.m. she woke up and then she fed and then she played and then she went back to sleep by 2 p.m. And my sister looked at me and she said, maybe aim for rhythm instead of routine. And in all honesty, initially, that didn't mean a huge shift except in my mindset because to me, routine was this really regimented, timetabled approach to my days. Rhythm, on the other hand, is where things happen mostly in the same order, um, day in and day out. It's a sequence, but you can speed it up if you need to and you can slow it down when you want to. And it allows for you to create a rhythm, first of all, because everyone's is different, where everything that needs to happen happens and it happens in a timely kind of way, but it happens in a flexible way because, you know, as you know, 
no morning, no two mornings are the same, no two weeks are the same. And I think when we try and stick ourselves in this really regimented routine box, it doesn't work for everyone. Uh, and it often doesn't work when things need to be flexible. So shifting to this idea of rhythm, and it's not a free-for-all, you know, it's not chaos by any means. There's a, a you know, quite a bit of headwork that goes into creating a rhythm. But once it's created, the idea is for it to just flow. So you don't have to find yourself, you know, constantly thinking, what's next, what's next, what's next? The days are, are kind of created and constructed with this rhythm at the base of it. And it's just, it's such a relief, you know, for me, because I'm still not a particularly regimented person. I don't think I ever will be. Um, and tilting is, it's, it's essentially the antithesis of this idea of work-life balance that we've been sold for so long, you know. I think of, of balance in that regard where for somehow we managed to to get 50% of our work of our time and energy into work and 50% into life i mean there's so many problems with that i don't even know where to begin but you think about trying to just remain balanced you know i think about it often as a two-legged stool the amount of energy that goes into simply trying to remain upright when we're, when we're trying to establish this balance is phenomenal. I mean, that's all you can think about. You can just only think about staying balanced. I've got to stay balanced. I've got to stay balanced. What I actually much prefer and have found in my life to be incredibly beneficial is this idea of tilting. So we willfully tip out of balance and we really willingly tip into whatever it is that requires our attention in that moment knowing that we're tipping away from something else. So we might tip, we're tipping into work and we're tipping away from, you know, home duties. We're tipping into looking after a sick child and we're tipping away from cooking a complicated dinner. We're tipping into a busy time at work and tipping away from social social commitments. And I think once we start to, to recognise that we can't be everything to everyone at every moment, so why not just do one thing really well and then move on to the next when we need to, that we free ourselves up to be a lot more fluid. And I, so I find that tilting, just in an everyday approach to how I spend my, my days, uh, has, has, it really dovetails beautifully, first of all, with rhythm, but it also uh, you know, allows me to have this, this flexibility and this single-mindedness in, in what I do. Yeah, and it's really interesting that you bring up that single-mindedness because that was one of the big things that this, this notion of tilting really helped me because it was like, you know, Mike, don't try to balance, you know, playing with Andy and also doing some work and yeah. also cooking, because as you said, you know, you just can't do that balance and, and you don't do anything well. So it's like, exactly. okay, tilt into Andy for a solid 10 minutes or tilt into Andy and bring her into the kitchen and cook with her and yep. then tilt into work later on if need be. And it really helped me kind of, you know, as you said, that single-mindedness, just coming back to that doing one thing. It was, um, it was a real light bulb moment for me. And, um, yeah, so thank you for that. Oh, pleasure. Yeah, and I think that's the problem. That's one of the other problems with this idea of balance, you know, we, or multitasking. We, uh, we might be doing three things at once and we might feel like we're being productive, but are we really doing any of those three things any sort of justice? You know, if we just paid attention to sending that email and then we moved on to the next task, we would get the email sent more quickly. We probably wouldn't make the error that we're going to make if we're trying to do that plus, you know, send a text message plus listen to someone else talk about, you know, something else. So I think that 
that yeah, single single mindedness and single tasking are a, a really important way to they're an important kind of strategy I guess to bring into your day particularly if you're feeling really you know flustered and hectic and that was one of the things that I I wanted to achieve with this book was for people who they hear the idea of slow living and and or simple living or simplifying or anything and they have in their minds you know this this kind of country living sort of lifestyle where everything happens at a snail's pace and we're all I don't know, just wandering around growing vegetables or something. But what I actually believe is is that everyone, regardless of where they live and what pace of life they live, can find room for these pockets of slow in their day. And that's what I I, kind of like about the rituals that we ended up with in the book. Each of them are accessible to anyone, regardless of of what they do for work or what their situation is. They're, They're kind of all they're all um, available, I think, to, to people no matter how hectic life looks. Mm. And, you know, I guess that hectic life there that you talk about, I had, um, you know, even though you and I have been friends, I guess, now for uh, nearly over a year, Brooke, you know, I had the, mm-hmm. the privilege of, of being uh, a guest on your podcast and you helped me with some of the technical bits and pieces to get mine off the ground. And we both are envious of each other's Instagram feeds when the other person is in a snow-covered country. Exactly. <laughs> but we finally got to meet in person um, the other week, actually, when I came down to Sydney and uh, saw you speak on a panel at UTS, which is the uh, University of Technology of Sydney, I think it is. But um, the topic there was uh, exhausted to energized. Mm. And, and I guess it really took that notion of work-life balance um, or ways to be less burnt out or to find slow pockets in your days, as you like to put it. Um, But I've been thinking a lot lately about the connection of those two worlds, the connection of home and work, and more about kind of bringing those concepts of, you know, minimalism, living more with less, live immediately, slow, slow living, all those kinds of things into the workplace and into that corporate world, because we spend like half of our awake life in that mm. in that space you know do you have any like thoughts or suggestions of how we can slow down at work because when i when i talk to people they i think they can grasp okay i can i can change this at home because they have control of that but in that yeah. in that work environment they don't always have control of what what happens each day no and i think that's the crux of it they don't always have control and I'm not going to lie, that's not easy, you know, particularly when if you're working to deadlines or working within a, a culture that really does um, either glorify or expect that hectic kind of pace. It's not easy, but there are certainly things that people can do that are under their own control. And Carl Honoré talks about this idea of right pace. It doesn't have to be slow, but it certainly doesn't have to be fast. You just need to do it at the right pace. And for me, what that looks like is kind of taking a deep breath before beginning a task and just finding some ease with it. It's not going to affect your output. It really won't because I think, um, you know, if you just take a moment to center yourself before you begin a task, that's not your boss's business. That's not your colleague's business. That's just you kind of committing to being there in the moment to work on this task and you work at it at the right pace 
which is you give it you give it boundaries, which I think is the the other really important thing to start to to build into your work place or your work life. Um, you know, and I'll get get onto that in a minute. But I think that that just finding a bit of ease, finding a bit of slow, but not in terms of the pace that you you work is really important. Because for me, slow isn't just about pace at all. You know, slow is the it's the opposite of fast. But when you think about modern life, fast has cost us a lot. So fast food, you know, fast driving, fast email turnaround, all of these things, it has cost us quality in in connection, in relationships, uh, in food, in output, in service, in in um, you know manufacturing, all of these things. Fast costs us so much. So slow is also just about reclaiming those things and choosing to prioritize them, prioritize quality, prioritize connection, prioritize relationships and people, uh, and and you know making sure that you're putting enough time into each of those things to make them higher quality. Uh, and I think in essence, that's going to actually save you a lot more time anyway than a rush job of, of anything's going to, to do. But the other the other side of that is boundaries. And we actually spoke about it a bit on the panel that, um, that you were at, Mike. And um, I think boundaries is a really, it's incredibly important for people to start establishing their own boundaries around work because otherwise the the myth goes that, well, you need to be, you need to be on call 24 seven. If someone emails you at three in the morning, you need to respond. Um, or, you know, to be more realistic, probably nine at night, you need to respond when that's probably not actually expected of most of us most of the time. So I think by setting technological boundaries, you know, you turn your phone off at seven 30 at night, you turn it back on when you get up in the morning, that's a boundary that you can absolutely enforce in your day. I mean, there are always exceptions. If you're on call, you're on call. You know, if you're working the night shift, you're working the night shift. But I do think that we are afraid to set those boundaries in our workplace because we don't want to seem like we're not a team player. But I do think that by starting to implement them, we can start the conversation as well with with our employers. Yeah, I 100% agree there. I think that those boundaries are hard at first. And I think sometimes they're hard because we just haven't done them. Mm. And like most things that we haven't done, we initially think that they're difficult or hard, but then once we do them, we look back and go, you know what, that was, that was okay. My, my boss did listen to me or, you know what, I've had my phone off from 7.30 every night now for a month and no one said anything, Yeah, except it completely changes your mindset. I remember when I was in the corporate world and I read this email like on a Saturday and it just it put me in the worst mood. I couldn't Mm. action the thing. It wasn't a big thing, but I was in a bad mood until Monday when we could talk about that in the office, but it ruined my whole weekend. Now, did the person who send the email ruin my weekend? No, it wasn't their fault, but I didn't also need to, to look at that email. You know, I've, I've taken email off my phone, um, for the last, I think two years now. And, um, that's been, a great thing for me. And I know that not everybody can do that. Um, but it, it's been a big game changer for me because I found myself just checking for the sake of checking. Yes. Um, and then the amount of time that that really sucks out of your day is just unbelievable. It is. And, if, and you said it before, you know, when you read that email on a Saturday, 
you you weren't going to action it. You weren't going to do anything with that information. And I think the same could be said for checking an email at 6 a.m. or at 9 p.m. Am I going to do anything with whatever comes into my inbox now? Probably not. So it's actually not helping you in any way. You know, if you want to get into the office prepared, then check your email on the bus on the way to work, you know, but don't don't let it take up your entire morning because it, I mean, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be doing that. Um, you know, and build in, build time into your day by all means to, to get to the desk and make sure you're prepared and ready to go. I, I understand that, but yeah, 6am or, you know, the moment you wake up isn't, isn't necessarily that time mm-hmm. because chances are we're not going to do anything with those emails anyway. Yeah. I, I've always said that if you control your time, you control your life. And, yep. and, and that doesn't mean that we're doing exactly what we want at every single moment, but it's more about like, don't just let time pass you by and and be more deliberate with, with how you spend it. And I wanted to put that to the test when um, a media company that I used to work for called me up and they wanted um, me to help them out with some stuff. And time is, is a really big thing for me. And so they're they're down in Sydney and I live up in Newcastle, which is uh, about an hour and a half, two hours away. And I said to them, listen, I'll do two days in the office and the other three days I'll do from home, except I'll work five days, but you only have to pay me for four. Mm. And, and that was all so I could, on those days that I was, I was here, I could take Andy to school or I could pick her up and I wouldn't have to feel guilty about Mm. that. So I was like buying my, my time back. And, and again, you know, not everyone can do that. But I think sometimes if we think out of the box a little bit of like, what do I really want and how do I, what are some ideas that I could come up with to achieve that? And then just testing them out and um, kind of see what happens. Yeah, that's it. I think being, first of all, I guess, uh, brave enough to have that conversation. I mean, people might look at your situation and be envious, but the reality is you asked for it. You know, you, you were, you were, confident enough and and also mindful enough I mean you didn't say I want to be paid the same amount to be you know to be to be working fewer hours even though I'd almost guarantee that you're working the same amount of hours anyway but what you've done um, if not more actually but what you've done is prioritize your time over you know the additional money and I think that the interesting part about slow and simple living is that once our material needs are fewer. We actually give ourselves more of that, um, more of that that wiggle room because maybe mm. we we're not spending as much money. We could possibly downsize or move to a you know a different area where cost of living isn't as high. But those things kind of tend to go hand in hand because we we don't have to spend as much money on maintaining a lifestyle, maintaining a home, and that gives us the flexibility mm. to ask. For, for, you know, more flexible work arrangements or take a day, a fortnight. So, you know, you do a nine-day fortnight or whatever it might be. Uh, and that's where I think it's a really interesting kind of crossover between it's almost productivity talk and, you know, find, uh, creating slow practices at work or, you know, simplicity at work and what that looks like at home, which is why I think it's so difficult to separate out home from work yeah. or, or life from work because, uh, you know, I, I, they're – they should be all life. You know, it's all should be part of life. So, Well, it's true. You, you brought up two great points there. The, the, the first one being about money. In the past, when I would be thinking about work, I straight, straight away would think about money. Okay, if mm. I'm going to do this work, how much money am I kind of 
getting for that when now it's not. It's like, if I'm going to do this work, how much time is that going to take me <laughs> to do? Um, obviously, there's a, a monetary element there. But another um, thought that you brought up was, and it's completely jumped out of out of my head, oh no, productivity. Like, really what I'm doing, the company saves 20%, but I still do the same amount of work. So mm. the pr productivity level is there, but the cost for them is actually lower. And like f for me, and I'm happier. So there's this, I don't know, for me, I see it as a really big win-win. And, and uh, you know, every company might not be the same. And um, But as you said, I at least went out there and, and asked for it. Yeah, but exactly. And I think I think the idea of experimentation, which you, you touched on before, is a really powerful one when making these kind of changes too. Uh, you know, I love the idea of experimenting with with all these different different changes. And that's something that Ben and I have done a lot of just just saying to yourself, hey, let's see what happens. You know, and, and we're often so surprised by the outcome when we don't have a fixed result in mind. Uh, you know, and similar to when with the, your work situation at the moment. Let's see what happens. Let's see what they say. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we can find that there is actually potentially more more flexibility or room to move than we necessarily think. Oh, I think there's heaps of room to move. Mm. But um, so what's coming up next for you? What are you, what are you working on? What are some little plans that you, you have um, kind of rolling out in the near future? We've got a few things going on. So last year, Ben and I, uh, Ben, my husband, quit his his job and we're now self-employed. Uh, he does a mixture of freelance communications work and we also run a podcast network. So uh, we're developing a handful of new shows for the network. Um, yeah, I can't say much about most of them at the moment. So that's really exciting, you know, to do creative work again. Uh, and I've just finished writing my second book which will be coming out later this year. So, yeah, there's there's a few few bits and pieces going on. You know, Ben and I have some big life changes that we're trying to negotiate at the moment too, but, um, yeah, they're kind of in their infancy. Yeah, but that's also the fun part of... of exactly. Of, oh, I don't want to use the word planning, but that fun part of discussing and can we could this work or just putting it out there and seeing where things fall. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. And again, this experimentation idea, you know, let's kind of put these things out into play and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Let's just see what happens. Uh, and it's not necessarily easy because sometimes, it's, you know, I like to have answers, but that's, look, you can have all the answers and they change anyway. So I think, you know, having this kind of flexibility to our approach for the next few years is it's really fun and it's quite a, quite a departure for Ben particularly. Well, for me, I, I think that in the past when I thought I had all the answers, I, I now realize I just wasn't asking questions. <laughs> so if you don't have questions, then you don't need answers. Um, and that That's was... so true. But um, Brooke, you know, thank you so much for today. But I, I do have one final question that I ask everybody on the podcast. And um, could you please describe your perfect day? <laughs> Easily, happily. Um, perfect day while well, we're in Canada in the Rocky Mountains in Canada and we spend the day snowboarding with our kids or skiing with our kids um I look I would give anything to to spend every day in um in the snow even if it means like traveling the world, 
chasing winter. But, but it's just be you know what, it's being outside, being in something as significant, physically significant as the mountains and experiencing it, you know, really throwing yourself into it is that's my perfect day. I wouldn't care what I ate or where I slept. It's it's just being out amongst the snow and the, the sun and um yeah, just filling my lungs with that that air. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And it, it's I'm so glad that you said it, the snow and the sun because I love that feeling of hold on, I can feel the warmth of the sun on my face. Mm-hmm. But I'm still kind of cold and when I touch yeah. this snow it's cold and, and your your body is just really immersed in all of these different feelings like you can't really go to the beach and be cold and hot yeah, that's um, right you know it's it's a you know it's one of the the beautiful things that I love about skiing as well also because where you go skiing is usually just beautiful nature everywhere yeah. that you look yeah um, but again, Brooke, thank you so much for your inspiring work, the lessons that you are teaching everybody, the dedication and time that you put into everything. And, you know, also for taking the courage to live life differently and, and to live your own path. So thank you so much um, oh, for coming you, on today. But if, if Such people, a pleasure. <laughs> thank you. But if people do want to reach out and and um, connect with you or, or, and follow your journey, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, the best place is probably just to find me at slowyourhome.com and that's where our podcast lives uh, and you can find you know links to all my social media accounts. Uh, but I'm just at Brooke McCallery on uh, Instagram, Twitter and Slow Your Home on Facebook. Done. And I will definitely link to, to all of that and everything that we've spoken about in today's episode over at liveimmediately.com. Is there anything that, you, that I've forgotten that you want to add, Brooke, before we part our ways today? I just want to say thanks for having me. You asked some brilliant questions. I love, I love that I needed to really like, be present and pay attention to the questions you're asking. It was, yeah, they were great. Thank you. Ah, thank you. And thank you so much for coming on and for everything that you have done for Ingrid and I and for being a, a massive part in our life. But um, for everybody else that is listening, thank you. And until next time, have fun and live immediately. That was another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thanks so much for listening. The original Live Immediately theme music is by the multi-talented Timothy McPhee. You can check out his music at firekites.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed the show, had some fun, and maybe even learned something, then make sure you subscribe via iTunes. And while you're there, why not leave a rating and a review? You know it's going to make my day. Thanks for stopping by and giving me some of your time today. I'll catch you on the next episode. And until then, have fun and live immediately.